I'm excited to share with you this morning a message that um, I've entitled, The Journey, Make It an Adventure. I don't believe in ho-hum-drum living. Never have, never will. Even when I was living for myself, living for the devil, I was always 110% living life um, full throttle. So when I gave my life back to the Lord, of course, I couldn't do anything less than go 120 or 220 miles an hour. Um, but today I want to talk to you first about the word adventure. Some people, when they hear the word adventure, it strikes some fear in them. Oh, adventure. Oh, what's going to happen? The unknown. The risk involved. I don't know, Brenda. I kind of like my comfy lifestyle. I like safe. I like knowing. I, I, it's easy going. It, it's just better that way. But really, if you're a Christian, I'm looking around the room here, all our Christians, did Jesus really die for us to live that ho-hum safe life? No. Come on. He didn't sacrifice all so that you could live comfortable. We're called to live an adventure. As a matter of fact, Frederick Wilcox said, progress always involves risk. Think about it. You can't steal base and keep your foot on the other base. It's kind of funny because we was watching the <laughs> Tigers last night. It was okay. It was a good game up until the bottom of the ninth. I could not believe that. They were ahead, what, six runs? Nine to nothing, that's right, nine to nothing. And I told Brian, I said, oh, flip the channel, you know, it's all over. He goes, well, I want to see him shut him out. Of course, did they do that? No, no. No, around and around they went. Would they end up running three, scoring two? Two runs. They still won, but it's like they could have really won. They could have really won, but they wanted to play it safe. Really, that's not how our life is supposed to be. We're not supposed to play it safe. God wants us to take risks, to step out, to live an adventure. Let me say it again. Day after day, week after week, month after month, we get caught up in this crazy cycle called life. Wake up, go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, wake up, go to work. I've said it over and over again. seems like God keeps bringing us back to the same message. I think he might be trying to tell us. Now, I'm not the brightest bulb in the bunch, but I think God's trying to tell us something. There's more to life in the time spent between birth and death than just surviving and really isn't it easy to just kind of set back kick up our heels and just kind of survive life I talked about this I think it was either last Sunday or on Wednesday it seems like the days are going by faster the weeks are going by faster it seems like from the time I wake up and set my coffee beside me and turn on the morning news we're setting down together you know drinking a glass of water and watching the evening news before we go to bed. And I looked over at Brian a couple days ago, and I said, didn't I, wasn't I just sitting here? Where'd the whole day go? 
Seems like I, as a matter of fact, I, I reached over at my glass of water and thought I was grabbing my cup of coffee. Where did the whole day just disappear to? We're not supposed to let life drive us. We're supposed to drive our life. And Jesus wants to be the pilot, not the co-pilot. He wants to be the pilot. There's a poem that I read every time I'm asked to do a funeral that I want to share with you because I think it's more important that you hear this before you're in the coffin and I'm preaching over you. Um, I let this settle in my spirit every time I share it at a funeral because it helps me remember there's something more between that birth and that death. And this poem, or, or saying, I don't know if it really... Okay, we'll call it a poem. It's called, How Do You Live Your Dash? I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on his tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came his date of birth and spoke the following date with tears, but he said what matters most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that he spent alive on earth, and now only those who loved him know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can be rearranged. If we could slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogies being read, with your life's actions to rehash? Would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? One little line. There's more to life than just that little line. But that little line says everything about you. I usually preach a message to fathers or, or even to mothers, but um, I, I kind of want to just spark your heart today. I want you to think about what people are going to say about you, the legacy, your journey, your adventure. And maybe it's just something in me, maybe it's not in everyone, and, and I guess if, if it's not in you, maybe... Today's your day to just ask God to put it in you because there's more to life than just surviving. God put within me an adventurous heart to go after you, not just with what's comfortable, not just with what I can get by with, but with everything. He wants to open up the world to you show you things that you've never seen before, have you experienced things you could only have ever dreamed about, but he needs you to open up and let him be God in you. For the Christian, our life is a journey, and I want to challenge you today 
to make your journey an adventure. Open up your Bibles. Let's read together in Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Let me just try to paint the picture here in case you don't know the story. Um, Israel, God's chosen people, have been enslaved here, are working over and over, day after day. I mean, here you think your life goes from, you know, wake up, go to work, you know, come home, eat dinner. Their life was hard labor. We don't understand the hard labor that Israel went through. We think our day-to-day -day life is, oh, it's so hard, it's so hard. It's not anything like Israel was going through, making the bricks and, and over and over again. Well, here it is. Now things just, you know, God sent a deliverer, sent Moses in there and tell him, let my people go. And then all these plagues happened. God showed Pharaoh that, you know, he is God and... Pharaoh finally agrees because God opens his heart that go ahead, let the people go. It's okay. And they're, so they're starting to leave now. So as we pick up in verse 17, it says, So when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt and even return to the land of their slavery. Think of it. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The Israelites left this place and encamped near this other place on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Going on to chapter 14. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by this place between this place and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from this place. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, so the Israelites camp there as they were told. Going on, verse 5. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. 
So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with the forces in Pharaoh's army, with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore of this place across from this other place. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And they cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Wasn't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Boy, they're just good people there. Verse 13, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. That's a t-shirt right there. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Now, why didn't I think about that, God? And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them, fighting them against Egypt, fighting for them against Egypt. 
When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. This is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your mighty word. God, that you've laid out in your word these examples in history that will teach us things for today. I thank you for that, and I ask that you open up our hearts that we'll receive your word and be doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God desires to move us and guide us, protect us, and lead us just like he did that Israelite army. Why? So that you'll be looking good among all your friends? So that you'll be recognized in the community? No, for his glory. He wants to do these great and powerful, wonderful, adventurous things in your life for his glory. When you say, oh, Brenda, I can't do anything. I'm just a housewife. I'm just a machinist. I'm just a driver. Whatever. That's not it. So who cares? So you're just a housewife. But the God of the universe is inside of you. He wants to give you so much life. It's called Zoe life, a God-filled life that goes beyond what you can accomplish on your own. But not for you. For his glory. He calls his people out of the land of slavery. He calls you out of the routine of the day in, day out. Wake up, go to work, come home, eat dinner. He calls you out of that. Not that I'm saying you can leave your job today. Out of it spiritually. Hear this, out of it spiritually. He also does it physically when he pulls us out of the life of sin. He pulls us out of the life of slavery. But he also, as Christians, wants to wake us up and pull our spirit out of that mundane rat race, that circle, that hamster wheel, wake you up and put that Zoe life in you. We have to trust him, though, to lead us, to guide us, to protect us, to direct us, to deliver us in our everyday moments into his promised land. A Christian's journey should be filled with stories like what we just read, stories of heaven intervening with earth. I like that. It's God-directed adventures. Today's main point, 
To live life as an adventure, you don't need to know why or how. Just allow God to be God in you. As Christians, we're okay with God. We know you're God. God, we know you're sovereign. God, we know you're big. You can take care of all things. But do we really believe God lives in us? In us. That he wants to eat breakfast with you in you. He wants to set with you. He, he is in you. So when you're shaking someone's hand, God is shaking their hand through you. God living in you. That Wednesday night series I um, showed the video clip of Remembering the Forgotten God by Francis Chan. Last Wednesday he said, We've gotten so caught up in trying to live the Christian life that we've overlooked the source. Life change comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. At times we've tried so hard and still failed because we've forgotten the source, the Holy Spirit. We get caught up in doing the Christian life. We forget that there's more to our Christian life. Maybe you haven't missed the obvious doctrinally, Maybe you've missed it practically. Until we actually apply the truth to our lives, we can't claim to believe it, at least with any integrity. It's like, uh, I want to buy you a dinner at Schuler's. Every one of you have a free dinner at Schuler's today. I went out, I bought it, I paid for it. But if you choose to go to Cracker Barrel, or go home and, and eat your pot roast, what good is it? You can, believe, you can even come up and shake my hand afterward and say, thank you, Brenda, for buying us dinner at Schuler's. I love Schuler's. But if you don't go there, sit down and enjoy the meal and walk out knowing the bill's already paid for, what good is it? What good is it if we sit here and claim that we know God, God is big, God is huge, God can do miracles, but don't live it? And don't walk it out. And by the way, I haven't bought you dinner at Shulers. It's just an example. Don't go there. <laughs> After church on Wednesday night, we were talking, I mean, we had a great discussion Wednesday night. We were talking about, yeah, and how important it is that we slow down enough to really hear the Holy Spirit leading us and directing us every minute of the day. You know, as simple as it is when you go and get gas and you get out of your car, that you stop for one second and just say, is there anyone here, God, that you want me to speak to? How long did that really take? Then I walk over, start pumping my gas, and just look around. Anybody? I think that was Wednesday morning that that happened to me, and as I said that, as I was pumping gas, I didn't even notice this big truck pulled up on the other side of the gas tank. And just as I said that, and I'm like, okay, and I looked around, he peeked his head out around the gas pump and said, hello! I said, hello, beautiful day God's given us. He goes, yep, and that was enough. I'm like, whatever. But every day, taking the time 
to let God direct. If we really believe the Holy Spirit is in us, with us, guiding us, leading us, we might not see the big pillar of fire directing us. We might not be able to see, but if we listen, we'll hear. And Wednesday night, I went, and it's sometimes, it's, I mean, I've shared this with you before. It's the most mundane things. But I think he does the little things to kind of get our attention. So when I went home Wednesday night, Wednesday night, Cassie's been going Bellevue Christian Center and coming back, and she's usually home by 9 o'clock at the latest. I'm sitting there. I haven't felt good the last few days, so I was thinking about going to bed early, and I noticed I looked up, and it's 10 o'clock. I thought to myself, I wonder where Cassie is. She always, she knows I, I don't worry, but I like to know. If you're staying in my house, I like to know. So I sat there, and I thought, I wonder where she is. It's 10 o'clock, and immediately a thought came to my mind. She's in Charlotte Applebee's. And I went, she's not supposed to be at Applebee's. She's not supposed to be at Charlotte. She's in Bellevue. But immediately that thought came to me, and I went, hmm, okay. And it just kind of settled a piece in me. I was going to get my pajamas on. I told Brian I'm going to bed. And as I'm getting my pajamas on, thought came to me, I wonder if Cassie knows she has permission to just come into the bedroom and talk to me if she ever needs to talk to me. Because Brian goes to work at night. I usually lay there an hour, sometimes two hours in bed watching TV, you know. And I thought, hmm. And I went to bed. That next morning, Brian says, you know, Cassie really wanted to talk to you when she got home about 10.30 and you had already went to bed, or 11 o'clock, 10.30, 11 o'clock. I said, really? So I called Cassie and she's like, oh, I, I wanted to go in there, but I didn't know if you were sleeping or not. I said, where were you last night? She goes, I was at Applebee's in Charlotte. I told Brian, I said, that had to have been God. Because how else would I know that stuff? How would it have blown Cassie's mind if I would have texted her at 10 o'clock when those thoughts were coming to me that, Cassie, I know you're at Applebee's in Charlotte, and I wanted you to know that if you ever need to talk to me to come right into the bedroom, you're welcome. You have my permission. Wouldn't that blow? She would have texted back. How did you know I was at Applebee's? How did you know I need to talk to you as soon as I get back home? Oh, God told me. Is that life-changing? Did that really, I mean, was there a miracle? Did I part the sea? No, but God is in our every day. He's in our every minute, and if we just slow down and listen, he's constantly trying to tap us because if we listen to those little times, we'll have no problem believing in the bigger times. When he's saying, go over there, see that person sitting along on the side of the street, go lay hands on them. I want to heal them right now. But see, if we never listen in the small things, we will certainly not listen in those big things. Because we'll start going through it, and I've done it before. Oh, is that God? Is that really God? No, that must be me. It must be some. I, maybe I'm picking up on somebody else's transmission. Who else are you speaking that to? I've done that before in church service. It's like, God, I must got too close to this person. You must be telling them, not me, to go do that. Because it couldn't be me you're telling that to. But see, he wants to talk to us all the time. He wants to make even our smallest Wednesday nights at 10 o'clock big things, big adventures. But unless you practically start applying them, it means nothing. 
You choose to either believe God is leading and directing you or you choose to believe in a happenstance coincidence. Oh, Brenda, I do not. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Think of it this way. If I was to give Emma, if I was to give you a gift, and then I sat back and I'm sitting in a crowd and I'm just watching. She don't know I'm watching, but I'm watching her open that gift because I love giving gifts. And I'm watching her, and she's opening the gift. And she even sees a little tag that says, To Emma from Brenda. And she sets that aside, and she opened the gift. And then somebody comes over and says, Oh, Emma, what did you get? And she's like, Look at this beautiful thing. I just don't, it was a coincidence that it just happened to fall. I needed this gift, this scarf. I probably got you a scarf, right? Yeah. And I need, my, my neck was cold. And look at it, it was such a weird coincidence that this blessing just dropped in my lap. And I'm standing over here in the crowd, and I'm looking back. I'm like, coincidence? I shopped for that. I used my Macy's coupon for that. What are your coincidence? Accident. Weird thing that just happened. I don't know how it happened. I was out of money. Bill was due. I don't know how to pay the bill. And it was an accident, a coincidence, that somebody brought me money that owed me money. I didn't know they owed me. It's just a coincidence. But isn't that what we say? Oh, I don't know. It's just a freak thing. Let me tell you about this weird thing. I hear that a lot, this weird thing that happened to me. I like correcting people. That don't sound weird to me. That sounds like God. Boy, that sure sounds like God. And even if it wasn't God, I'd rather give glory to God than coincidence happenstance, a strange thing or a weird thing. We need to give God glory in those little things. Because just like that gift, he would like to receive the praise. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you brought that person over that owed me money I had forgotten about. Now I'm able to pay this bill. Thank you, God. God wants to be an active part of our everyday life. We as Christians live our lives ignoring God's leading, directing, intervening in our everyday life. So what happens? He backs away. I mean, if I kept giving Emma a gift and standing back and watching her, and she keeps giving glory to strange things that just keep happening, I don't know, and just... It's just a coincidence. Think I might stop giving you gifts. Or just back away and say, you know what, that's enough. Think of Samson in the Bible. You've all heard the story. Samson in the Bible had the mighty strength of God. He got a little bit too close to the edge of what he should be doing, where he should be at. And let's just say, I'll just call it like it is, he's laying his head in the lap of the prostitute. And when he was laying his head in the lap of the prostitute, over and over again, she's like, tell me your secrets, Samson. How are you so strong? When somebody wants to know your secrets, I'd be very careful on who you tell your secrets to. So as he's laying there, and she's like, if you love me, tell me your secrets. So he started making up stuff. Now I don't get why he does that. I, I don't know. 
lying now. Now he's lapping. He's laying his head in the lap of the prostitute. Now he's lying. And she's, and I don't, I just want to say sin makes people stupid. Stupid people don't sin. Sin makes people stupid. Because while he's laying his head in the lap of the prostitute, he starts lying. He says, oh, this is, if you tie me up with this, this will, I won't be able to break it. And she ties him up with it. And she's like, Samson, the, who else? Philistines have come to get you. And he stands up and breaks it. Now, wouldn't that first time, you'd be like, woman, what did you try to do? Because I thought the first time I read that story, I thought, ooh, he's testing her. Yeah, test her. Don't tell her the real secret. But then he lays his head back in her lap again and does it again. Sin makes people stupid. So anyway, on this, I think it was the third time that he, she said, oh, you really don't love me. And he tells her the real secret. So she does what he tells her will sap all the strength. The story says over in Judges 16, then she cried out. Here it is again. Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Come on. Come on. That's what we do, isn't it? We just go right to the edge. Oh, God, we give you, oh, God, we, we love you, and oh, God, and let me just get as close to sin as I can. I'll just, here, I won't really set, I'll just lay my head on sin's lap, and it'll be okay. God's always with me doesn't matter what I do. I can get, see, as long as I'm not married to the sin, I can lay my head on its lap. I can get as close and comfortable as I want, and God will always be there with me. And you'll jump up and find that God has left you. God does not want you to live so close to sin to see how far and how much you can get away with. Where is that an adventure? Where is that a journey? Where is that paying honor to the sacrifice that Christ made? I tell people all the time, I was just sharing this with um, Brian, who we need to pray for is sick today. Not my Brian, the other, Mr. Mason. I started calling him. Because he asked me, you know, why don't you think it's okay to just drink a little bit? You know, a lot of people just drink a little bit. It's social drinking. Just, why can't you? I said, well, I can't answer for everybody. I can answer for me. And for me, because I was an alcoholic, because that was a huge part of my sin-filled lifestyle before I met Jesus, to even sip alcohol would mean that I would have to step over the bloody body of Jesus, crucified on the cross, buried that life of mine, step over his bloody body, dig up that old life of mine, and pick up that bottle just so I can take one sip. It's just not worth it to me. 
that sacrifice is too great, I won't ever cross that blood stain again. I can't. God died. God sent his son to die for something bigger than just the whole hum. Let's see how close we can get to sin life. He wants us to live his God-filled, Zoe life, an adventurous life. God wants to be the super in your natural. I say that all the time. He wants to put his super with your natural and let you live a supernatural, God-powered, adventurous life. John 10.10, we say it all the time. The thief comes only to steal, kill, destroy. But God said, I have come that you may have life. That life right there is called the Zoe life. I looked it up, and it's in the Greek New Testament. Zoe has a special meaning. It speaks of the life that is given by God through Christ Jesus to those who believe the gospel. It's life, real and genuine. A life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed, to denote a happy life and every kind of blessing wrapped in it. It's the life God intended it to be like. That's the life he came to give us. That's the life he died for us to have. Life with God is not ordinary. It's extraordinary. Extra-ordinary. He has the extra for your ordinary to make you extraordinary. It's when heaven intercedes with earth. That's the adventure in your everyday life. Here it is. I believe our biggest problem comes when we give credit to coincidence and not to God. It's that awe of God that we lost when we see him moving in those little things like telling me where Cassie is at 10 o'clock at night. That awe of God. I mean, I was just ecstatic Thursday morning when she told me she was at Applebee's at 10 o'clock. She wanted to come. I was like, oh, God, you're so awesome. Why didn't I just listen to you? And I could have texted her and just blew her mind. She was sitting with people around Applebee's. She could have told all of them. Do you realize he does those little things for him to get the glory? God is so big. There was probably a waitress at Applebee's that needed to know God is present, alive, and active in earth today. And I missed it. Every day. It's that awe of God working in our everyday lives that keeps us focused and attentive to his leading and directing. Our deepest, most life-shaping, practical, daily motivation of every human being was designed to be the awe of God. The awe of God should be the reason I do what I do with my thoughts. It should be the reason I desire what I desire. The awe of God should be the reason I treat my husband the way I do and parent my children in the manner I do. It should shape and motivate my relationships with my extended family and neighbors. The awe of God should be the reason I function the way I do at my job or handle my finances the way I do. It should structure the way I think about physical possession and personal position and power. 
The awe of God should give direction to the way I live as a member of my community. It should form the way I think about myself and my expectation of others. The awe of God should lift me out of my darkest moments of discouragement and be the source of my most exuberant celebrations. The awe of God should make me more self-aware and more mournful of my sin while it makes me more patient with and tender toward the weaknesses of others. It should give me courage and wisdom to know what to do in every situation. The awe of God is meant to rule every detail of my existence. The spiritual danger here is that when the awe of God is absent, it is quickly replaced by the awe of ourselves. If you are not living for God, the only alternative is to live for yourself. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I love it when people say, Brenda, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I always reply, reply God does. Ask him. Yeah, but I, no, just ask him. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, wait. Oh, better yet, I think there was a sign. I saw this sign in Kentucky that says, pray for the harvest, but don't stop hoeing. Keep praying, but keep moving. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Today's main point, to live life as an adventure, you don't need to know why or how. Just let God be God in you. I want to close this morning by sharing this excerpt from an article I read by Charles Stanley, and then we're going to take communion. It's based off Psalm 27, 13 and 14. It says, Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, Wait patiently for the Lord. So are you currently waiting for the Lord to intervene in some way in your life or in the life of a loved one? One of the struggles we face as Christians is trying to understand why our Heavenly Father sometimes delays over matters that are so urgent to us. Only the Lord knows all the reasons. However, there are several adjustments we can make in our attitude and mindset as we wait. The first one, determine your focus. In the urgency of the moment, it's easy to center our attention on the need instead of on our God. We may start out waiting for the Lord, but we end up waiting for the answer we want. Soon we're moving interested, we're more interested in what we can, what he can do for us instead of who he is for us. Soon, and sometimes, God delays until we get our focus back on him. He wants us to delight in him, not just in what he can give us. And second, release your expectations into his hands. The Lord is working on our behalf, 
But sometimes we cling so tightly to a desired outcome that he must wait until we open our hands and let go of those expectations. Holding on to our own assumptions about how the Lord should intervene is emotionally exhausting. But peace awaits those who trust that he will do what is in our best interest in every situation we encounter. We need to remember that while we are waiting, God is working. Trust him. Believe. He sees the entire picture and is active behind the scenes, arranging everything according to his will. I mean, think about that story that we read earlier in Exodus. He said, I've planned it this way. Oh, if I do it this way, this is going to happen. So I'm going to plan it this way. Could you imagine? I mean, the Bible couldn't contain all the complaining, I'm sure, the Israelites really did when they said, I see the Red Sea. Right there is where we're going. Why are we going this way? Could you imagine a car full of those type of people? Sometimes you live in that situation with a car full of, why did you go this way? Why are you going this way? Isn't the highway closer this way? I know when we pull out of the front of this church, it's quicker to get on the highway if we go left. But why Bryant always chooses to go right? I don't know. And I don't know why every time he turns right, I look at him and say, why are you going this way? And I always get the same answer. I don't know. I just did. And I think, oh, and then I think, oh, we have five stop signs that way, and then we got to go all the way down that way to get on the highway that it would have taken us two seconds if we went this way. Imagine all the Israelites were probably doing the same thing. I know we are just right there. Why are we going this way? But God has a plan. He's always working. We don't need to know how or why, but let God be God in us. The end of that verse is that we read earlier. It said, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. That's all God wants. He wants you to trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. He has your best interest in mind all the time. So have you been living life by your own plans? Are you frustrated, tired, confused? Because that's what happens when you plan things yourself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to. As a matter of fact, doesn't the Bible even say, I know it says, that you shouldn't say, I'm going to go and do this. Next year, I'm going to go plant this. It says, if you do that, that's sin. In other words, you should say, if the Lord wills tomorrow, I'm going to do this. If the Lord wants me to, then next year, we're going to do this. And he said, anything else is just sin. Don't say that. Who are you? You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Trust God's leading. But like the sign said, pray for the harvest, but don't stop hoeing. As a Christian, you need to realign your life to God's plan for your life. You know this. He made a plan for your life before he ever created you. Stop trying to fight against it. 
You need to leave, live that God-filled, powerful, adventurous life. So I want us to take these last few minutes, make a recommitment to God that we will place Jesus first, that his sacrifice will be honored in our lives, and we won't settle for anything less than living God's adventure for our life. By Kevin's going to play this song for us. I want you to serve yourself communion. Go anywhere in the sanctuary here or up at the altar. And just while this song plays, I want you to make that recommitment to God. Start living that adventurous life. doesn't matter if you're 14, 15, 74, 84, 44. It's time to start living that adventurous, God-filled, powerful life today. So let's take time right now. Kevin, go ahead and start playing that song, and then I'll come up afterward and close in prayer.
God, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we just worship you right now. Thank you, Lord, for the commitments that were made here today, Lord, to stand up and honor the sacrifice that you made for us, God, and live and grab a hold of that God life, that God-powered Zoe life, and begin to not just survive, but to live an adventurous Christian life for your glory. Keep our ears open to your leading guiding and directing us and we trust you we trust you with all our heart mind soul and strength we trust you and will follow after you god i pray that you make us lord us your church as you intended it to be not hemmed in by four walls but out there loving and showing your love to everyone we meet help us be your church. In Jesus' name, amen.